0: Episode 100 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Man, 100 episodes. Wow. it's a lot. Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. Joe Biden is on the march. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time. So, I don't know about you, but this Biden-Tom thing has really felt good the last 55 days or so. I I mean, I, I am so much more relaxed. I feel like I'm not worried about anything that anything that's going on in Washington. I'm worried about things that you normally are worried about. Uh, Are my kids eating well? Is she going to make the soccer team? Uh, Do I have enough food in the house or do I have to go shopping? I'm I'm worried about your regular everyday things that we have to worry about. We're worried about getting COVID-19. I'm worried about normal stuff. I'm not Waking up in the middle of the night, worried that we will not have a republic anymore. I, I, I gotta tell you, I know I'm not alone with that. I know if you're listening to this podcast, you have felt a weight lift over the last couple of weeks. I, I know it didn't happen automatically, right? When Joe Biden became president on the twentieth, it was a great day. The twentieth of January was a great day. I felt good about it, but I didn't. I still had that trepidation, right? That Trump's kind of lingering out there and. Uh, you know, what's really going to happen? Is he going to be able to get anything done? I knew we had a very slim majority in both the House and Senate. And you know how Democrats love to destroy you know, their own opportunities. Um, and I got to tell you, watching that bill get passed in the Senate with just Democratic votes, a bill that then, you know, stupid Republican senators tried to take credit for, when they didn't vote for it. Uh, Senator Wicker, uh, probably the most prominent example that you've all heard of. But watching that bill pass, watching the Democrats do the right thing, all of them. I mean, I know that we've had conversations about some of the more moderate senators and what's going on with the minimum wage. and But the bill that passed, Joe Biden's COVID relief package, 1.9 trillion dollars is far and away the most progressive piece of legislation to pass since the New Deal. Far and away. It gives almost all of the benefits to the lower 80% of earners in this country. The top 1% get nothing. State and local governments get a lot, and and that's a great thing. Um, But watching that pass and, and, and feeling that the Democrats... Are actually getting things done. Now, look, uh, there's a lot of a long way to go between here and the midterms. I have talked about the filibuster ad nauseum on this podcast, and I'll probably talk about it a lot more. Uh, I'm going to talk about it with my guest, who you definitely want to listen to, uh, Senator Barbara Boxer, is back on the show today. And we talk about uh, the bill passing, we talk about the, the history of the filibuster, and she gives me a real tutorial, we'll give you a tutorial of it as well. Uh, so make sure you stick around for the interview today. But I, I mean, look, the filibuster is, is going to be an impediment to things like the John Lewis Voting Rights Enhancement Act in H.R. 1. It's going to be an impediment to a $15 an hour minimum wage. I mean, we might not have the votes with the Democratic caucus to have a $15 minimum wage, but... You know, hearing Joe Manchin, I, I talked about this on the show last week, hearing Joe Manchin kind of hedge on the on the filibuster on the, on the Sunday shows uh, was pretty good. And I think that we're going to see some movement in the filibuster because I think there's enough resistance to just normal stuff. I mean, the fact that no Republican, none, voted for the relief plan, not one in the House or the Senate, has shown people like Joe Manchin, who might be more moderate than you or I, but still wants to get things done that they're not going to be able to get anything done, even though they're chairman of committees and in the majority, because these guys are going to just vote no on everything. That's their plan to get power back. I think it's ridiculous, especially given the fact that some of these people uh, the Mitt Romney's of the world, the Lisa Murkowski's of the world are surely facing primaries from their right in their next election. Some of them are retiring. You don't want to get anything done. You can't compromise at all. You can't find any position. Uh, you didn't. I, I mean, not one of them wanted to give fourteen hundred dollars to people in need in this country. Not one of them wanted to make sure that people could get Cobra for free if they lose their job over the next couple of years due to this virus that they had no control over. The economy is going to skyrocket. That the Stark stock market, which you know Trump always used to like to use as his example of how great he was doing. The stock market has never been higher than it is now. And I hear they're going to point to the debt. They're going to use those same old 1980s, tired Reagan era talking points about debts and deficits, points that they forgot when George W. Bush was president and really forgot when Donald Trump was president. The largest increase in the national debt under any single term president happened under Donald Trump. They're going to bring it back. I mean, it's, it's nonsense. They know it's nonsense, right? They know it's nonsense or they would have actually stuck to their guns when they had power. Democrats, now that they're in power, are sticking to their guns and saying when the government benefits people, it shouldn't be just the rich. It should be benefiting the working people in this country and the poor and the middle class. And that's what this bill does. But this calm, this feeling of like, I'm not worried about things as much, and 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 I get it. I COVID is still real. I'm tweeting about it. I'm wearing my mask. I'm still social distancing. I'm not going anywhere. That's for sure. I'm um, waiting on my appointment. I'm not quite yet on the list. I'm not yet eligible. Um. But it is, you know, it, it, it. there's a light at the end of the tunnel and there's competency in Washington. There aren't people who are going to say, well, Fauci, Fauci, Fauci got it wrong. Well, well, Fauci got it wrong. Fauci is a scientist. And the facts evolved. The virus was brand new. What do you want them to know the answer to it immediately? They've now had a year to study it and they're still learning new things about it. So give it a rest. I see these people out there saying, I'm not going to get vaccinated. I don't trust the science. where do they get their degree? Where did they get their degree? Everybody's got some reason for not doing it. Now, you know, the group that's most likely not to get vaccinated is Republican men. Now, the former guy can go out there and start telling those people to get vaccinated and they probably would get vaccinated. All of the former presidents... Bush, Clinton, Carter, Obama all got vaccinated publicly and did a PSA telling people to get vaccinated. The one president that did get vaccinated while he was president, the former guy Donald Trump did not join in that PSA. Now I'm not sure if they didn't ask him because they don't want him or or he just said no. We don't know. He He's surprisingly silent on it, but he got his, and for some reason, he won't tell others to get theirs, so Republican men are going to ruin it for all of us, by the way, like they always do, by the way, Republican men ruin it for us now, right? It's the Republican men that are the base of their party. That allow these people to act like idiots. It's Republican men that ruin it for everyone all the time. They just don't want to know nothing but what they believe. They are the new know-nothings. So Republican men are going to slow down our advance towards herd immunity. Thank you, uh, former guy. Thank you for that as well. You know, Sean Hannity had the nerve last week the nerve to say that Joe Biden should be thanking Donald Trump for Operation Warp Speed and whatever else. Donald Trump did what Donald Trump does. He threw money at something and yelled. He had no plan for the vaccine. In fact, Pfizer, which was the first to the market with the vaccine, did not take Operation Warp Speed money. They took money after the fact for distribution. Great. But the distribution was so chaotic When Biden came into office, they had to redo it. And now, yesterday, Sunday, I'm recording this on Monday night, we did 4 million vaccines in one day. 4 million doses administered in one day. He's going to blow by his 100 million doses in 100 days goal. That's going to be well past. He's going to actually pass that goal, I think, in the next couple of days. For him, for his administration. Forget about what was done. You know the, the small amount of doses that got into people's arms prior to Joe Biden becoming president, but he's going to blow past that because they're doing it competently and they're getting the job done. And I got to tell you, I feel great about it. I feel calm and I feel happy, and I think a lot of you do too. Uh, and I, I hope you you reach out to me at uh, I'm at Christopher Han on Twitter and ChristopherHan.com. There's an email there if you want to get in touch with me. But I hope you, uh, you know, I'd love you to share your stories with me, and I'll, I'll try to read some of them here and on my radio show, um, letting you, letting people know, you know, how great people are feeling. Because I, I just feel good. I feel great. I feel calm. The Biden calm. Awesome. All right. i uh, I've got former Senator Barbara Boxer, who represented the great state of California for 24 years in the United States Senate. Before that, she was in, in the House of Representatives. Um Always a great guest. Perfect timing to have her. Um, Really, you know, we walk through this bill. We walk through the filibuster. We walk through some other things. Listen to this interview. You're going to enjoy it. And then I'll be back uh, to wrap it up. And I I think I'm going to talk about Sour Silverman and Cancel Culture. So stick around. You want to hear about that. Joining me now, one of my favorite guests. Senator Barbara Boxer is back. I think this is your third time on the Chris Show, and I always appreciate you coming on. Uh, Senator Boxer represented the great state of California for, I think, 18 years in the United States Senate. No, it was more than that. One more term, add on six. 24 years. You see, I'm not as bad at math as I make out. You
1: very good at that. (laughs) And I also had 10 years in the House before that.
0: 10 years in the House, and uh, you probably were like a county legislator or something before that. you've you've been serving the the people of california pretty much your whole life you still even though you're retired you're still serving them you're still working on projects uh to make this a better country and that's why we love you and love having you on so it's been a hell of a week for biden i mean uh couldn't be better right uh he gets uh his attorney general and his hud secretary confirmed and of course the 1.9 billion trillion dollar uh, American Rescue Plan, fantastic stuff. Uh, I mean, have you seen a better week for a president in his first hundred days than this? In in a very long time.
1: I really, I really can say I have never seen anything quite like it. And you know what? I give him so much credit for is he wasn't, you know, bamboozled into cutting this way, way back, two thirds back as right. the Republicans. That was their price. And you know, he felt either go big or don't go. And he just laid it on the line. And I love that about him. He knew that this had to happen. The economist said, you know, we're in a lot of trouble. We have between 10 and 18 million unemployed. It's hard. The experts aren't sure. Right. And everyone from Jerome Powell, who's the head of the Fed, to Janet Yellen, who's our new Treasury Secretary, said, go big. Don't worry about inflation. At worst, it'll be 2%. We know how to deal with that.
0: That's fantastic, and, and, and it's going to help so many Americans. 85% of Americans are going to see some sort of help from this, and, and it's 85% of Americans, not the top 15% of Americans, which is the exact opposite of, of the Trump tax cuts that he passed in his first term.
1: Bingo, as they say. That's it. They didn't care about any deficits when it was a question of or debt when it had to do with giving back to the largest corporations in America. But suddenly the Republicans said, oh, my gosh, what are we doing here? This is frightening. Really? What is it about cutting childhood poverty in half that they don't like? I mean, that's my question.
0: I don't understand it at all. I mean, this bill is going to cut childhood poverty in half. Another thing that I think a lot of people are overlooking, if you lose your job any time in the next two years, the government's going to pick up 100% of your COBRA payments which I think is, you know, I know a lot of people have lost their jobs and who've had insurance through their jobs and they've paid into COBRA. Uh, that's a big expense for a lot of Americans. It's going to help a lot of Americans out.
1: It's huge. I have a member of my family who had to deal with that COBRA, uh, which just for, the, for people listening who may not know the details, um, if you lose your job, they'll let you keep your health care but you have to pay the full load. Right. So if your employer was paying three quarters of it or half of it, you now have to pay everything. It's enormous. And when you're out of work, where do you find the money? Right. So what they did is they said, We'll pick up the whole tab for a while until you get another job or I think it's a year or something. It's it's enormous and you know, the child tax credit for people raising kids, it's so we all know how expensive it is and how So it really is going to hit. It's going to help the restaurant industry. It's going to help small business. It's really going to touch. You say 85 percent. My reading is 90 percent. But let's face it. It's going to touch most people. and Mm -hmm. It's going to make them at least get them back to where they don't. I mean,
0: ultimately, Senator, it's going to it's going to benefit every American because the economy is going to be shored up from it. And the top. 10% of Americans are going to benefit from that just by like they benefit from everything else. So it's
1: uh... a consumer driven economy. We know that. So when people have the money to spend and everybody who understands this, uh, this multiplier factor understands that it's not the wealthy that put, that go out and buy diapers and buy baby food and do all the rest. Uh, They usually save it, put in the bank or go on a trip to Europe. Right. But it's the everyday American who is putting one foot in front of the other they're going to spend this money. And you're right. They're going to stimulate the economy. So at the end of the day, everybody benefits from the economic juice that comes into the
0: engine. And it just seems to me, I don't know about you, just talking to people the last two days, it just feels like everybody in this country feels that we've turned the corner now Yep. and things are going to get better from here on out. I mean, are you feeling that too out there in California? There's no question
1: about it. We've struggled uh, with this disease out here. It's been very, very, very tough. And we have large minority populations who are bearing the brunt of it. And because Joe Biden made some promises and has kept them, it's given everybody a huge lift because we're going to see uh, our schools reopen are they gonna make them safe? they're gonna fix the ventilation systems? That's all in this bill, yeah, are they gonna be able to cut down on class sizes? So yeah, there's a whole new feeling, and you know I have to say, as the grandmother myself and my husband and I are just so lonely for our grandchildren
2: mm.
1: and um we have uh we have one that's a few hundred miles away, and we have two others that are. Up north in Northern California, we're in Southern California, so that's seven eight hour trip yeah. to drive, and then we have one in Washington D C, so they're spread out, and we're you know lonely we you know for them, and and we're lucky we're busy we're hectic I am, and and still you 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 just feel so isolated it's a very strange. And I certainly am not complaining, for goodness sakes, uh, at all.
2: But right. I'm just
1: saying the loneliness for the children, for those grandchildren, what? that's that's really, that's swept across
0: our country. Oh, I think it's a major problem. I mean, uh, you know, one of the things I keep hearing is, you know, depression across this country is, is way wow. on the rise and overdoses and other, you know, related illnesses that come with it.
1: Yeah, there's a malaise that comes with this, and, You know, the feeling of of hopelessness that we can't beat this virus. But that's all changed. And, you know, look, you know I'm a lifelong Democrat. That doesn't mean uh, that I haven't worked with Republicans my whole life. And I've done a thousand pieces of legislation that got done. And it was because I was able to work across the aisle. It's gotten much harder. But when push came to shove, the people of Georgia decided to send two Democrats, replace two Republicans. As a result of that election, we were able to get those 1,600 stimulus checks and all the benefits that we're talking about from this COVID relief package, which is actually, it's two things in one. It's COVID help and it's economic help.
0: Right. And we didn't even touch on the fact that this bill is going to make it possible for state and local governments to stay alive. And not only that, administer the vaccine across this country, right? It's one thing, you know, the former guy wanted to yell at states and localities and the private sector, get that vaccine out. Joe Biden, President Biden is actually giving them the resources they need to get that job done. It's, It's day and night. And I think the American people are starting to realize that with, you know, over 60% of Americans approving of this bill and, and close to 60% approving of the job Joe Biden's doing. And that's pretty amazing in today's day and age.
1: It's amazing. Uh, but, you know, he's keeping his promises. And and he's, as I say, he is not falling prey to these threats by the Republicans. Oh, if you don't get Republican votes, you're off to a bad start. He did everything he could to to, to, get, to, to do it right, to get them, and they didn't want any part of it. And I think the American people see that, because there's a lot of interest now in government. That yep. was the one thing Donald Trump brought. You know, he was such a, I want to say aberration, and I hope so. Me too. <laughs> uh, such a narcissist. That, you know, every day it was something else, and the people watch this. And now they see what it means to have someone who is a we president, not a me president.
0: I'm trying not to say his name anymore. I'm just calling him the former guy. I that's think that's right. my new thing with him. A lot of people are doing that. It's uh, it's kind of breaking. Let's just talk for a minute because, you know, I always love getting your political opinion. I think Joe Biden and his team framed this brilliantly. He said, this is a bipartisan bill because a bipartisan, a a, a political panel from across the political spectrum support this bill in the public. I don't care if those elected Republicans in Congress support it or not. I'm going to call this bipartisan. I love it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was very smart because he could have been placed in this trap where he said from the start, I want to be uh, a president for all the people, the people who voted for me, the people who didn't. I'm going to reach out with my hand across the aisle. And he did. He reached... The first people in his office were my former colleagues, a Republican senator. Yep. Well, they reached out their hand, but it had a huge scissors in it. Yeah. They were going to cut his bill by two-thirds. Right. Well, that's ridiculous. That's like having medicine. Somebody says, here's your cancer medicine. It's life-saving, and you cut back.
0: Yeah, you're only allowed to take half a pill a day, and you need four. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly, right. and... You can't say that is a good analogy and because we are getting out of this pandemic and it is an illness it is a crisis and we can't cut back on the vaccine doses we can't cut back on you know everything it's going to take to beat this thing and we can't cut back when it comes to our families and our kids you know one of the things that I've seen that just breaks my heart are the long lines all across this country of automobiles people waiting to get Food. Yeah, I heard a woman today say she started a a nonprofit just to get diapers. Yeah, Mom and dads so they yeah. can't afford it, and they're so humiliated in
0: this country why. with all the wealth in this yeah. country that anybody yeah. has to worry about diapers or food is just. This is why I look I you know I don't understand Republicans anymore. I really don't. I mean, this is a bill that was needed. You know what? You might want to quibble about the size of it, how long it is, but, you know, not that much. It was needed. We we went through this before with the Great Recession back in back when you were in Congress in 2008, and 2009, the Recovery Act. You know, the, Obama went too small. And I think Biden learned his lesson. We need to go big and have this economy booming by the midterms, which it will be.
1: Well, it need, he needed to go big because I right. I was there. And I remember how rough it was to get the votes. It was about 800 billion. And we I remember going to Joe Biden. He was the one who was handling the bill. And I said, we got to add, you know, some infrastructure here. And they they just didn't have the wherewithal because they were too afraid they wouldn't get any enough support. And.
0: Uh, and, and they passed it what? they passed it through regular order in the Senate. They didn't do it through reconciliation they, because because they, they they had at least twelve senators and they had sixty votes in the Senate fifty nine, I guess. Uh and they and they you know they, they, they had enough senators that, that wanted to respect the filibuster, they couldn't do it.
1: No, you're totally right. And and that was lesson learned because it took us so long to get our climb our way out of the hole of that great recession and um Yes. And there was a vice president. Look, he is the man for the moment. Look at what happened. Uh, The former president did not allow any real transition to take place. Right. And so we lost so much time in all of this. He sort of decided he wasn't going to cooperate. Well, that was a nightmare because now when President Biden took the helm, they had so much catch up. Yeah. They had to catch up on so many things. And, Yet and still, he's doing it. Why? Because he's got experienced people around him, like Ron Klein, like Steve Reschetti. Yeah. Like all these amazing people. Look, Jen Psaki, uh All these people who are in his uh, communication shop who are all women, but they're so, so experienced. Very. It goes on down the line. Merrick Garland is just going to be extraordinary in this time when we have to fight back against extremists and... Uh, And and white supremacists. He knows about these terrorists that are domestic terrorists. So, I mean, he's picked a, a group around him. They're amazing. And as I say, he's the man of the moment. If we had somebody else who was in there who had no experience, like Trump never had any experience, and facing these challenges, there's so many.
0: It would have been a disaster. 67% of Americans have confidence in Joe Biden to fix Uh the problem right now. That's a CNN poll tonight. Uh, I mean, that's an amazing number when you consider how divided this country is politically. So even people who don't support him, wouldn't vote for him, don't approve of him, have confidence that he's going to get us out of this crisis now. It's crazy. Well, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to make that. I don't even know what to make of that because he's not going to get 67% of the vote. 20% of those people probably think he's not even a legitimate president, but they think they have confidence in him that he's going to solve the problem. Well, they're going to
1: pretty soon cash his very legitimate checks that he's sending. Yes. So he's going to be... You know, you never know what would make people legitimate. Not, nothing better than sending them a
0: check. <laughs> no, nothing better than getting money. You know what? Cash is king. <laughs> and...
1: People have been so, in in such a situation that most people, and this won't surprise you because you follow all the news, they had a few hundred dollars in the bank in case of an emergency. Yeah. So what happens if your car breaks down? Amazing. Something happens, you know, uh, uh, you're in such trouble and there's so many things that I could talk about. But one thing I will say, I, I was talking to some very interesting a group, of, sort of a study group of, because I do stay in touch with. Um, different think tanks, and this think tank did had a speaker who had just done an analysis of the difference between rich and poor in our society. Mm. And is it? And I want everyone to follow this. It's it's not hard to follow. The worst time we ever had was the Gilded Age, was around the early 1900s. The Gilded Age, where people who were at the top of the economic ladder were. So far ahead of everybody. There was no middle class. And slowly but surely, we crept up and crept up, and we had the growing middle class and a stronger middle class. When it got to the 1960s, it was the height of equality. We were in very good shape. There wasn't this situation where the rich were so rich right. and the middle class and the poor were so poor. Now it starts to go down at mm. the very interesting 6465 now guess what it's gone down 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 to where it is now where it was at the Gilded age that's amazing That's just
0: crazy and I, I you know I gotta I feel it myself a, I'm like a middle class guy, guy
1: that's not an opinion it's a fact so now that's why there's a big push to raise the middle uh, the minimum wage
0: I, I don't know and, and we're gonna talk about that you know in, in a few minutes uh, I don't know why anybody would be against it uh it's it's just amazing to me if we would have raised if we would have adjusted it for inflation and productivity it would be like 20 dollars an hour right now uh yeah. based on where where it was 15 or 13 years ago when it was uh set at seven what is it 750 an hour i i mean i see people who are just hanging on to the middle class by their fingertips what? and and it's it's amazing to me how we've let that go in this country and and and, and there's one party's to blame for it, frankly, they, you know, it, and one person to start it off with—that was Ronald Reagan, your fellow Californian. Unfortunately, uh, it, it's a, it's a, it, it's amazing to me how he defined forty years of economic policy in this country, and Republicans could never backtrack from it. And here we are, Senator. We've been talking uh, as a country about the minimum wage and the filibuster. Right? It seems like those two things are on a collision course right now. Democrats want to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. I quite frankly think it should be $20 an hour. Um, But, uh, you know, the filibuster can hold this up. Now, I know you've been doing a lot of study about the filibuster. And I, I just, could you walk me and my listeners through this entire timeline and history of this thing and why we need it and why it should be gone or why it should be gone?
1: Sure. Now, in order not to make you go to sleep, I promise I'll explain it in two minutes. But most people, if you ask where the what is the filibuster, they'll guess at it. They'll say, "Oh, it was set up uh, because people want to protect minority rights," and they'll give you every reason. But let me tell you how this whole thing happened. When the House and Senate were set up in the beginning of time, okay, by the founders, right? This goes back to both the House and the Senate had the same rule about when to end debate. They had in their rules, uh, you, someone could call for the previous question, Chris. So anytime you were ready to end debate, somebody said, I called the previous question, and it was a majority vote. Okay? Now, you get to the time of Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr as vice president. Mm. And Aaron Burr makes the speech. This was after, I think, he killed Hamilton. Unbelievable. That's beside the point. He gets on the floor and he says... I'm giving this talk to tell you that I've read the rules of the Senate and they're arcane, they're wrong, they're crazy. You should change a whole bunch of them. You don't really need some of them in there. Like one of them is this call for the previous question. You don't need it. You always have a majority vote. Something like that. They did away with the previous question. And so there was no way to end debate. Yeah. It's crazy. So the filibuster comes in. Aaron
0: Burr, man. That guy... Has been, uh, he's been trouble for this country in everything he's ever done.
1: When I read this report, the Brookings Institute about the filibuster, when I read that, I I wanted to call up Lynn Manuel and say, let's have another song about the
0: yeah. <laughs> Can we do a song and dance about the filibuster? You know, who lives, who dies, who tells your story for 25,000 hours in a row? <laughs> it's like, I know, it's unbelievable.
1: So then what happened is, suddenly when things started to get a little more dicey in the Senate later, you know, later, they started, somebody noticed that there was no way to end debate. I kid you not. Yeah. And so there was literally no way to end debate. And then they put in the night, the 67 vote, vote rule to end debate.
0: Unbelievable.
1: 67 votes. And then it was changed to 60 votes. But the filibuster then was used by the Southern states, really uh, to hurt minorities no question about it because the minority could get together and you know stop everything
0: but and even so then we
1: are at a place but
0: even then senator weren't you know you had to talk you had to keep talking to to have a filibuster uh,
1: but then the, the deal was cut listen when it went from 67 to 60 which is about the 1970s they in order listen to this this will be fascinating now you'll be a genius on the point <laughs> When it went to 60, they cut a deal, and they said, now you don't have to be there, but we need 60 votes to cut off debate. That was the trade-off. Right. They hit it away that you had to be on the floor to get it down from 67 to 60.
2: Mm.
1: Now it ought to be put back to 51. That's what I think. And get, you can still want to talk. Hey, that's fine. You can talk, talk, talk. But when somebody wants to end debate, it should be straightforward 51 majority stop talking.
0: Well, it's say, it seems to me that like Joe Manchin on the weekend shows left a little room here for the talking filibuster, which would require people to actually be on the floor of the Senate. Right. It
1: would, but you know, all these Republicans, they would be on the floor to stop voting rights. I'm sad to say yeah, it all do it. So it wouldn't be one to be 40, there would be, you know, 50, uh, 50 of them doing it. Probably. It's
0: amazing that we have a party in this country. That is so afraid of the people whose ideas are so out of touch with the people that the only way they feel that they could stay in power is to stop people from voting. It's it's dramatically sad to me to, to see that. You
1: know what and you just came up with something that that was so critical. That's right. If you can't win, stop people from voting. And then, if you can't win, stop people from voting in the Senate with the filibuster. Yeah. So there's a connection between the two things. I a- think
0: absolutely. So you're you know you're you you obviously served in the Senate for 24 years, uh, and you've served when there was a filibuster, and I, I you know you're with me. Let's get rid of it. What's the point? Yeah. Elections have consequences. If the Democrats lose the Senate because of something they do, so be it. That's the way it goes.
1: Yeah, and the other point is they'll do away with it in a heartbeat. Right. Anyway.
0: Right. Right. If they want to, if they want to move something, if they want to change the way people vote in this country so that they can keep power forever, they'll do that without a filibuster. I mean, it's, it's amazing.
1: Well, I'll tell you something when we, when we did reform the filibuster so that judges could, we could, because we couldn't move one Obama judge I know. away with it. Okay. But I insisted that it be kept for the uh, Supreme court and, uh, uh, Harry Reid protected me, and we did. We we protected,
0: and they blew that up the minute, the minute they needed it.
1: minute Mitch McConnell got on the floor, boom. Yep. he did away with it. So all his sobbing about how if the majority does this to us, you did it. So you did it. You did, did, it. You did away with it for the Supreme
0: Court. I mean, you've been watching all this conversation with with people like Kristen Cinema and jo- and Joe Manchin. Yeah. Um, do you think that there's any chance that they get rid of the filibuster or make it a talking filibuster so that they can actually, you know, once you stop talking, you lose control of the floor and it goes to, you know, they could call the question, I guess.
1: Well, it gets kind of messy. It, it depends what the rules are. They would have to rewrite the rules. So it depends how they rewrite those. But let me give you my prediction. If the Republicans continue to be this party of no, and not the party of no, the party of hell no. Right. Uh, couldn't even get one vote for something that's so popular over 60 percent of the people supported this uh this bill this covid relief we couldn't get one republican in the house and senate if they continue that i think joe manchin and cinema and some others who have a hard time with this will come on board for some type of reform i think manchin may be ready for some type of reform already but i think uh they're going to see that we can't get anything done and you can't we can't allow.
0: You can't. We can't do a mis- We can't repeat what we did that led to the twenty ten. You know, Tea Party wave. You know, oh. they've got to get things done. And I think this is a great first step. I think they're they're seeing the jubilation over this bill, Senator. I'm out of time with you. Anything I can plug for you? Where do you want people to follow you?
1: Well, I've become a, a an advisor to the USC Center for the Political Future. So anybody in california usc has that great program and i'm involved in it so i'm excited about that
0: well check her out there america she's great senator boxer always great to have you thanks again for joining me i always love talking to senator boxer i really do um i actually met her when i first started working in the senate Um, senator Schumer's chief of staff called me up and said hey um Senator Boxer is visiting her sister out on Long Island and she needs a ride to Penn station. Can you give her a ride? I'm like, yeah, I gave her a ride. It was awesome. Talk to her. She's, she's fantastic. She's, she's exactly who she appears to be. I, I don't know if that makes sense to you. She's exactly who she appears to be. She's just this common sense woman who is very progressive, who wants to do good in the world. And I think we need more people like that in the Senate, not less. And, uh, Uh, You know, I really appreciate the time she gives me here. So before I close up the show today, I just want to like weigh in on um, a controversy that's been going on concerning cancel culture and one of the comedian whose podcast I listen to religiously and who I've been following for years, uh, Sarah Silverman, who I feel like I feel like there's a certain group of comedians that I feel like I'm in on their jokes because I think we all grew up listening to Howard Stern and Sarah Silverman's definitely one of them. But she weighed in on, you know, this culture that is emerging on the left, which she calls uh, righteousness porn. And I got to tell you, I-, I agree with just about everything she said. There's this culture going on, particularly on the left, where people just want to show that they know better. And they want to act like they've always known better, which there's just no way that that's true, right? Uh, I, I mean, unless you were born five seconds ago and automatically developed an IQ where you can talk, you didn't know better 10 years ago. She she used a, a Neil Brennan joke As an example, and I don't want to murder it too much, but it's, she said it was like, you know, it was like going to LeBron James and say, you know, I saw a picture of you when you were in fifth grade and you were only five foot two. Why you say you're six, eight now. Um, people grow, people change, people evolve and evolution should be allowed. And she was talking, uh, responding to a voicemail on her podcast. Like she gets voicemails on her podcast. It's kind of cool. Um, where somebody was criticizing her for a tweet that she had up for like 10 minutes uh, concerning, you know, about an article about the situation at the southern border, which, by the way, you know, it seems like every time I'm on Fox these days, that's all I get to talk about now is the southern border. Um, they don't want to talk about all the great things going on, uh, you know, on, on the right. The right and they want to talk about the southern border. Oh, this is the biggest problem in America right now. Not the coronavirus that Trump let get out of control. I'm gonna talk about the southern border but I, I I feel like we're falling into this trap, and I think she talked about it very well, and people are not given any latitude anymore. They're not given any latitude they're not giving any opportunity to really even show that they understand. What they said, or maybe misunderstood what they said. It's automatic. You're the devil. I don't want to be associated with you. We're done with you. How dare you? It's like it's a culture of how dare you? Righteousness porn. I feel, and, 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 you know, I'm not nearly, I'm not even in the same, forget about the same league. I'm not even playing the same sport as Sarah Silverman. And I can't imagine the criticism she gets. I get some. Uh I mostly get it from people on the right though because people on the left don't watch me on TV. You all watch me here and sometimes I'll get an email from somebody here saying, you know, how dare you not come out stronger for x y or z. Uh maybe I'll get some emails about this. But I don't want to live in a world where small mistakes are blown out of proportion for people's benefit to feel good about who they are, even though they would have made the same mistake at some point in their life. And I'm not talking about people who are blatantly racist. Those people should be condemned at every turn. Absolutely. I'm not talking about people who intentionally hurt people. But I am saying that this righteousness porn needs to stop. It shouldn't be a gotcha all the time moment. She took a lot of heat for it. Um, she took a lot of heat for a couple of things she said over on on that podcast the last couple of days, and it's a short podcast, half hour, uh, and it's very entertaining. I, I, you know, I I don't know that I am doing her any favors pointing out to listen to her podcast. I am sure she's got a lot more listeners than I do, but uh, Sarah Silverman's podcast is is very good, um, and she's great. She's a great comedian, and you know me. Uh, I'm a comedian as well. Not again, I'm not playing the same sport, let alone in the same league. Uh, but I, you know, in addition to being a TV and radio political pundit, I, I did stand up in the past. I'm in an improv troupe now, which we haven't performed in a year, which sucks. I, I've told people this before and they laugh at me, um, um, I've canceled appearances in front of millions of people on television. So I could go do improv in front of 75 people in the basement of a theater. (laughs) So it's, uh, I really do enjoy it. Um, And, and, and I think comedians especially should be given a wide berth to explore topics that walk up to the line and we shouldn't be canceling people. And, you know, Sticking our noses in the air about their work. That's why Dave Chappelle, uh, he did that that special sticks and stones. I mean, it would offend a lot of people. Uh, but it was hilarious. And it was really calling out righteousness porn. So hat tip to Sarah Silverman. Take a look at her podcast. If you're easily offended, don't. Um, but she's not trying to offend anybody. You know, and I think that that's one of the things that she talked about earlier in the month. Actually, Uh, she offended Paris Hilton directly uh, back in, I guess, the 90s or the early 2000s when she was big. And, um, you know, she regrets that. So I think people grow. They evolve. they, They move on. And we should give people the opportunity to do that. And we shouldn't assume that just because we know better now that we knew better then. I know there are things that even five years ago I wouldn't, you know, I, you know, I now know are offensive to people, so I don't say it, and I try, like hell, not to say it. And sometimes things do creep back into your vocabulary. It doesn't mean you're doing it intentionally. It, it's, it's just, you know, it, it takes time, especially if you're older. So, uh, so don't, don't feel like you have to be indignant. To people it's okay I guess to let people know that that could be offensive but to act as though people are just dirty for doing it it's it's too much and we've we've gotta we've you know to quote Patton Oswald I guess I'm all comedian right now it's chaos be kind just be kind if people aren't intentionally trying to hurt you or hurt somebody else or offend somebody, or oppress somebody, or hold you down, and if they're generally on your side, assume they have good good intentions, and that they are not intentionally trying to hurt people. We know when people are trying to hurt people, and we should stand up to that always. Anyway, I hope I didn't lose half my audience from that, but uh, if I did, who cares? Anyway, I want to remind you now, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.